listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Time now for Future Stocks Podcast number nine of this season. I'm your host, Clinton Cole. And we have a great show for you tonight. I'm joined by the two Adams, Adam McIntyre from 2080 Baseball and Adam Shalafu out in Great Falls, Montana. We've had a good look at all the prospects um, around the country for the White Sox. We haven't had a chance to go out to Great Falls, so we'll check in and see what's going on there. So plenty of great stuff coming up on the podcast. Stick around for the next, what, 55 minutes or so. We'll get you all your White Sox prospect news. All right, welcome back to the Future Sox podcast. Joining me on Skype now is Adam McInturf, Adam, the Assistant Director of Pro Scouting for 2080 Baseball. Adam, um, I am glad you could join me here on this, what is this, Monday, or when, no, Wednesday night. And, uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday night. The minor league baseball season winding down everywhere. Um, if not, you know, most leagues finished, but some still going on there. But it's been a fun minor league season, and you, you guys, um, do good work at 2080. So before we get into the Sox, why don't you why don't you kind of explain uh, what you guys do over there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we're a, a prospect and scouting website that's completely uh, focused on both the amateur draft and pro scouting. Um, for the last three years, uh, or the last two years, just before this year. Nick Valeris and Dave DeFreitas, they, they had a amateur draft focused group. And this is the first year that we've had uh, a sub department that's completely focused on minor league scouting and uh, following prospects at that level. And I oversee the day to day that. So that's kind of a mix of, um, yeah, just so that that's, that's kind of a mix of a lot of video work um, data. And I manage some of our internal both video and statistical and SQL databases. Um, and obviously seeing a lot of players out in the field and driving that, uh, nationally as well. He's on Twitter at 2080 Adam. So you, you mentioned you've seen a lot of players from, from all over the place. You've seen a lot of White Sox guys. Um, so we'll talk about them first, of course, Future Sox podcast. But at the end, I want to kind of get your idea of um, you know some of the other guys from other systems that have kind of caught your eye uh, that maybe not everyone's heard of or maybe they still heard of them, but I mean, they still really caught your eye. So I want to hear about that a little bit later. But let's jump into the White Sox system. Uh, obviously, the big news of the Sox system is, is Kopech out this year and out next year, most likely, um, the whole season. So that's really a big blow. I guess the big thing uh, for the Sox this season, um, the success of the Winston-Salem Dash. Uh, they, with, yeah, with, with Omar. Um, I mean, Canapolis made the playoffs. Great Falls made the playoffs. And then Charlotte had – I mean, the Sox have had at least 50 different players up. You know, So Charlotte's seen, I think, 20 – I don't even know the number of players that – were promoted from Charlotte this year. So the Sox system as a whole, a lot of good things to speak of. Um, but then I guess some of the injuries were pretty tough on the Sox system. So what do you think of, I mean, you, you've been around baseball uh, quite quite a bit of bit of time. What are your thoughts on all of these injuries that have happened with the White Sox, I guess? At the, at the prospect level? The yeah, at the prospect level? level. I don't think, you know, 9 out of 10 people aren't really <laughs> – the, the major league team, not many people are focused on. I guess more of the minor league team that people are teams that people are getting excited about. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, it's it's difficult. It's tough, uh, especially for like you said, a team in that rebuilding state um, that's looking ahead to the future and looking down on the farm 
in order to do that. And especially when some of those crown jewels, the system are getting hurt, but player development's not linear and there's a lot of challenges. Um, injuries being chief among them. I, I, I mean, the rash of pitching injuries and like in Kopech's case, you know, that's been a consistent narrative over the last few years for all pitchers at all levels. So that's certainly going to uh, rear its head and be a factor in the development of players. One guy that uh, did have Tommy John, uh, but has had the best season of a pitcher, according to MLB Pipeline, that's Dylan Cease. Of course, he came over in the uh, Quintana trade. You saw Dylan Cease. He's one of the names I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, he, I mean, I got to see him a lot in Winston. I got to talk to him, interview him quite a few times. Nice kid. Um, what was, give me your thoughts on, on Dylan Cease as a whole. A lot of Sox fans are really hoping, and he's going to be one of those top few guys in the Sox rotation when, you know, towards the end of next year, the beginning of 2020. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, that's what the ceiling is. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, if, if things click for him and especially, you know, as I'm sure that, you know, and everyone listening knows the way they click for him, uh, in the second half of the year, especially upon being promoted to Birmingham, um, he has every chance to be that guy. I mean, you're looking at a physical innings eating, uh, brain that has a high 90s fastball and swing and miss breaking ball. I think the change up, uh, I'm sure he talked to you about it when you interviewed him, uh, how much developing that pitch was part of his game plan this year. But, um, you know, the, if things come together, it's two seven grade pitches and he's missing bats and he's a frontline type starter for sure. So I was talking with Chuck Garfine on my podcast last week and I told him that I think the, the biggest, I want to say the, most impressive thing that about him is well, well, two things. He mentioned one thing and I mentioned one thing. I'll start with what I mentioned was the stamina, um, you know, pitch 99 and a hundred, he's throwing 99 and a hundred. He's not, you know, I mean, you don't see, you don't see that a lot. You know, a lot of pitchers, you know, obviously the human body gets tired and as the body gets tired, you know, you, you keep your mechanics, but that you just don't have as much strength, but Dylan Cease, I mean, he's, Throwing seven, eight, not eight innings, and he's at pitch 100. And he's throwing 99 miles per hour. Yeah, no, I, I think that's where the physicality that I mentioned comes in. I mean, you look at uh, his frame, and it's it's pretty ideally suited for uh, that that stamina, that durability. You said to throw hard and to maintain that velocity late in the games. And and if you you look at uh, what you know high velocity starters or front of the rotation type guys in the big leagues do. That's that's what they do. Those yep. front of the rotation types, they're out there and they're maintaining fastballs and they're you know establishing everything starting with that power power number one. Yeah, you know, Justin Verlander comes to mind, I guess, when you uh, yeah talk about something he, like that. Do what? Yeah, like guys that as as they age, almost they they learn to take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit and save some of their best bullets for later on. That's always something every October when I see Verlander thrown in the postseason, it's, that's what always impresses me about him the most. How he's, he actually like pitches down to like 92, 3, 4, 5 early on in postseason games. So he has like every single bolt 97 and up later in the game, which that, that's kind of like, you know, pitching 400 level. But yeah, he's definitely, you know, he, he has the characteristics of the guy that holds the fastball like that. All right, so what are your what are your thoughts, expectations of him next year coming out of spring training? Is he starting in AAA? Is he starting in AA? What's he doing? And then what's kind of your timetable for him to reach the south side of Chicago? 
Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's always two ways to look at that, right? Like, there's the timetable, like, when would he be hypothetically capable of holding his own in Chicago, and when is he realistically, you know, going to come up? I mean, I, you you know better than me about the nuances of the AAA roster and the organization and stuff like that, but I'd, I'd say, barring a very crowded rotation in Charlotte, um, I can't see why he wouldn't go to AAA. I, I, unless that's been an inkling that you felt, but I, I don't feel like he has that much to prove personally in, in AA and uh, starting him in AAA probably gives him the chance at least to, if there's a level that he needs to move up to, he's one step away from the big leagues. But, uh, you know, it, it, I, I think from the outside, it seemed that the White Sox have shown they've been pretty conservative with the development of or the promotions of some of these top, top guys. So I, I can imagine that the very earliest we're talking about him coming up is the middle of next year. Um, and it really wouldn't shock me if it was a little bit later than that. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not sure what the consensus is. I'm just kind of going off what's been the, uh, the blueprint that I've noticed right, right. in terms of brain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, his stuff, his stuff will, I mean, his stuff will be ready as, as assuming everything goes well. You'd, you'd think by June, but we saw what they did with Kopech, so it, it may be August, I guess. But is there any way that he is not up with the White Sox next year? Uh, I mean, if, if he perform, I mean, the, I mean if all goes well, and he, you know, continues on this track. Yeah. Yeah. If, 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 if all goes well, no, I mean, it, it, it would be very difficult to make an argument. Um, if, if he were to pitch anywhere close to how he did, especially when he found his stride later in the year, I mean, like, like, you know, aspects of pitchability and control command obviously have been the longstanding, you know, issues with him when he's not having success. And I just imagine the second half, those are the things that kind of fell into place. And uh, we saw how his stuff dominates when he's able to establish and get ahead and command the fastball and things like that. Adam McIntyre for the assistant director of pro scouting content at 2080 baseball is my guest here on the future Sox podcast. We just talked about Dylan sees um, another name. I wanted to talk to you about that we uh, saw in Winston was Luis Basabe, part of the uh, Chris Sale trade. Um, and he made a name for himself in the Futures game, hitting that home run against Hunter Green. Uh, he's got he's, – he's a toolsy guy. He finished it in Birmingham. So what were your – switch hitter, what, what were some of your thoughts on Luis Basabe this year? Yeah, he's uh, – I'm, I'm glad we're talking about him because there's so many talented prospects in the White Sox system. Um, and he's a guy that to me is notable for how much he's improved. Uh, he's come a really long way since I saw him as a Red Sox prospect before he was uh, involved in that deal. He's grown quite a bit. He's filled out uh, muscularity-wise quite a bit. And, I mean, now I think what you're looking at, uh, I saw him earlier in the year twice when he was in Winston-Salem for two series, and then uh, – our senior evaluator, John Eshelman, saw him in the Southern League. And I think the consensus from both of us really was that this is a guy that has a chance to be a, you know, everyday center fielder in the big leagues. And to be honest with you, the power that he's growing into and some other aspects of his offensive game, I really didn't see, you know, maybe I was wrong. You know, I could have just been low on him or just missed, but, I think there are a lot of people that probably uh, weren't expecting him to start to kind of fill out and grow into some of the power that he's shown. 
Uh, and that, that's been an enthusing development. So, no, I, I think you're looking at a guy who's best case ceiling. He's an everyday center fielder, does a little bit of everything. And obviously, you know, he's known for his glove and athleticism and speed. But there's a little bit there with the bat, too. And the, the, the switch hitting component, obviously, is it's, uh, it's a helpful piece as well. Do you have any, uh, any kind of comps for him? I mean, comps are <laughs> a dangerous ball game to play. But, I mean, do, do you have anything? I mean, you say everyday center fielder. Now we're talking, I mean, Tony Campagno is an everyday center fielder for the Cubs. Are we talking about that? Or are we talking about Adam Eaton type deal? Or are we talking about something more top of the line? Where are we on that? Uh, you know, I, I think Adam I, I think if he was, if he performed, he's not the same type of player. Right. As I was just, I was just giving thing. a range there but, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, uh, if you were anything close to that, I think they'd be they'd be thrilled. I mean, I, I think there's a mid midpoint between an Adam Eaton type performer and a Tony Campana, right. um, and, and that that's kind of what what he is to me. I I don't have the I I'm, I don't hate comps in general. Um, I I use them when one comes to mind, and there are times where I feel pretty strongly that one's a good fit, but. I don't necessarily have one specifically for Basabe. Maybe John Wood is someone that has seen him uh, more recently, but I feel pretty good that the ceiling, at least, is uh, probably somewhere, you know, in that, like, two to two-and-a-half win everyday player-type range there. Um, and I think at, at the very least, the floor, he's a very athletic uh, fourth outfielder, a guy that might perform like a fourth outfielder that has stretches where he's uh, hitting like a regular. So you're going to get some big league utility out of this guy either way. And I think the ceiling's pretty high. Uh, another name mm-hmm. I want to get to real quick that we didn't talk about before. You mentioned, you know, fourth outfielder, everyday center fielder guy. Rook, what are your thoughts on Blake Rutherford then? I mean, where, where are those two separated? Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a great question. I think even comparing those two guys, uh, is uh, is important, and I think actually that comparison might be something that the organization may have to do one day. Um, seeing them play next to each other was helpful in Winston Salem. Right. I'm probably a little higher myself on Basabe's ceiling, and I feel like to me Basabe is no less than a good fourth outfielder, um, and Rutherford I think is more realistically a fourth. I think one of the larger separators being. Uh, straight line speed and defensive ability in center field. I think one of those guys, Basabe, is a legitimate everyday center fielder. And I think Rutherford probably can play there in a pinch, but the defense that I've seen from him uh, over a longer stretch, or if you're trying to put him in the lineup every day, to me ultimately winds up on a corner. Now, I think he's a pretty good corner defender, um, but this is, this is a lot like, I see a lot of the Orioles system. I used to work for that club and a lot of what we felt about Austin Hayes is how I kind of, in terms of his defense, is how I see Blake Rutherford, where he, he, he'll handle center field in the pinch, but over a longer stretch, you probably want him in right. And I think that Rutherford's bat, even the requisites of playing on a corner might be a little bit of a cleaner. So I, I, yeah. I think with one of those guys, I'd probably press Basabe a little higher right now. So I'd say the floor is probably similar on both just because uh, he's more of a true center diamond profile for me. What about Rutherford's arm in right field? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's, it's, it's the type of thing now where I think you can probably hide things a little bit. Um, and if it's a problem, you could put him in left. I mean, I, it's, it's going to come down to, uh, I mean, his arm to me, it's not great, but it's not, a grenade. It's, it's, it's not 
awful. Um, um, unless that's what the reports have been that you've heard. I, I'm just, I've I'm just going by kind of what when I've seen him in right field. It just seemed like, I mean, not everyone's has an absolute cannon in, in the outfield, but I mean, it just seemed like on some plays. I think kind of overplay the right field arm thing. Yeah. To be honest with you, this is kind of philosophical, but this is kind of just me. But the way that, uh, especially with some parts actually being more difficult to defend in left field. I, I Look, it, it's not to say that arm strength is not important. Um, Although, I, I was just talking about in com, like the complete package ball. of comparing both these guys, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I yeah, just like I said, no, the complete package to me, uh, Basabe is the everyday player at peak or at his ceiling because he's more of a true center fielder, and I don't really think Rutherford is. So yeah, uh, Rutherford is, I think, relegated to more of a fourth. I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. Uh, another name Sox fans are uh, are very, what do I want to say, um, cautious op- and optimistic uh, is, is Zach Collins. Now, we saw Collins, I saw Collins in Winston a little bit, um, and obviously he's, he's been in Birmingham. Sox haven't had a catcher since, what, AJ, I guess. There, there's a lot of questions surrounding Collins coming into this year. Uh, maybe still now. I didn't get to see him, so I don't really know. Um, and those were, you know, his defense as the catching position. Is, is it going to be, is he going to be a catcher for the White Sox or is he going to move somewhere else? And, you know, that bat, he, he's, he led the world in walks this year. And how did you, how did you, what do you make of Zach Collins? We'll, we'll start with him defensively. Yeah. Uh, you know, defensively for me, unfortunately, like I've just always, uh, I, I haven't gotten it great look at him this this year specifically on defense but in years past the last three uh, i've seen him going back to his time as an amateur and he he's never um really been a long-term catcher for me i i I think that seeing him at miami i you know wanted to see him develop as a professional and definitely felt they made the right decision to run him out there initially I, i think they're still doing the right thing to work on him uh back there but uh, seeing him last year a good amount in the Carolina League, um, he's probably just you know to me the the bat gets him in the lineup at catcher. You know if if, if the ceiling is what uh, everybody hopes it is or what it could be offensively, but I think more realistically we're looking at a first baseman. There's there's just there's probably a catch. It's kind of like Rutherford playing center field. Like mm-hmm. these guys might be able to do it, but the fact is it's the big leagues and there's oftentimes a significantly better defensive option there uh, when you kind of move out of the hypothetical, you know, in a vacuum, what can this guy do to like, what's the reality of a roster situation more than more than likely there's a much, much better defensive option up the middle in both places. So did, did you have, if you've seen Sebi's of all then, I mean, they've got other catchers obviously in the system, but those two seem to be the closest other than the guys that have already been up this year. Who's the second? No, uh, Sebi Zavala, yeah. Oh, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I just think that uh, Collins is more of a first baseman. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what you're asking. No, no, um, I, was just, I was just saying, you know, if, if, if the Sox, if, if you're projecting Collins more as a first baseman, then have you seen Sebi Zavala and what, what were your thoughts on him as a catcher? I think he's a better defender, okay. uh, slightly than Collins. But uh, 
I don't have as much track record with him, no. No, yeah, I mean, it's which, just... Which would have had on this podcast, but no, I I don't have as much track record with him. Right, I didn't really get to see him much either. It was just, it's the catching position, I mean, it's just, it's been such a such an issue for the White Sox for 10, 12 years now, and I know you drafted the guy that high, you'd hopefully get him to stay, but I mean, things happen, I mean, there's free agency and everything like that, so I think Sox fans... I don't, I, they don't really care who's there. They just want someone there. Um, the bat for, for Zach Collins now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I understand why, I mean, the offensive impact that he brings um, in the situation where he can hack it at catcher is significant. And, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a chance he can still get better from where he is, but I, I just didn't see enough of a corner turned after, you know, I, I don't know what the amount of time is, but a long enough time in pro ball that it just made just all things considered, you know, a uh, first base move seem likely. But by the same token, if, if the bat is uh, the best case scenario of what it can be, then that's fine. And that's where you'd probably want him. Like if, if, if he hits to the degree that his uh, most ardent supporters think he can, then you probably wouldn't want to put that bat behind the plate every day anyway. Right. I wouldn't know. Save it for as long as you can, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's 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 a little bit more of a gap between the ceiling and the floor with him, obviously, because if he goes to first base and uh, some aspects don't translate, but the swing and miss does, uh, then obviously there's, you know, a, a drop-off in value because he'd be a first baseman that wasn't providing – uh, you know, the type of power and offense that's needed at that position. But um, so I, I think it he could be a riskier prospect in that sense. But by the same token, I'm I'm with you on the bat in terms of what the upside is and the track record of patience and approach. And, uh, you know, I, I think you can probably disregard the lower batting averages because of what's becoming a very demonstrated track record of getting on base via the walk. And I think, uh, you look historically, that skill is pretty constant. So I think that he is going to maintain that ability and that could keep him uh, hopefully a little bit uh, more ability to stay out of slumps. So I don't know. Adam McIntyre, uh, assistant director, pro scouting for 2080 Baseball is uh, my guest here. Future Sox podcast. A couple more names for you, then we'll let you run. Um, I mean, we, we talked before this, and there's a whole slew of names. We could talk about this all day, but let's get – give me two more names, uh, that being Luis Robert and Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson, um, one of my favorite players in the system, and then Luis Robert, the $26 million man who uh, battled some nagging injuries this year. Um, and uh, uh, so I guess what were your thoughts on Robert first this season? The tools are there. The, the, the body, the frame is there. But what about the baseball part? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's what it's going to come down to because you're you're so right. The the tools and the physicality and the upside just jump off the page. They they blow you away. But by the same token, I think what uh, you know some Sox observers have seen with Amon Cotta or some other guys, some other top young guys over the years, there's a there's an aspect of needing to put the bat in the ball um, to allow these tools to come into the game at the major league level. And that's sometimes the question. Um, with, with Robert, I, I mean, given his age and how much time he missed this season with injuries, I'm not sure he really had that much time to find a rhythm at the plate. 
And I don't write off an athlete like him being able to make adjustments. But yeah, in, in his approach, I mean, he's very, very prone to chase and spin. You know, there's not tons of feel for the zone or pitch ID. Those things are going to have to come a long way. But in terms of raw tools and what he could be, there's, you know, it's, it screams 30-30, the center diamond athlete with power. He sees how you draw him up. Here, my honest opinion of Luis Robert right now is <laughs> seeing him. He has no idea where the strike zone is. It seemed like, man, he was just, it seemed like he was just swinging to swing. And if he made contact, he made contact. I mean, obviously, yeah. every everyone has an approach. I mean, so that's not going to say that. But it just seemed like, you know, watching from that front row is just like, man, what are you doing? Like, what are you swinging at? What are you, are you looking for something? Yeah. Or are you just swinging as hard as you can and hoping something connects and then, using your speed to get a double out of it. Like what, what's your approach up there? And it's, you know, he's, yeah, I mean, he, he's a physical he's specimen. Just, I'm just hoping he, he does. Yeah. He's going to give you those headaches. And he, he's a guy in a way, I'm not sure if you've seen Julie Matias, but Julie Matias kind of left me feeling the same way where he just has some at bats where they just, they look lost. And at the end of the day, um, whether or not that these type of player taps into a ceiling, it's a matter of how they're able to control the zone and develop an approach. But we've seen Jorge Soler. He's yep. a guy that, you know, within the division, you see peaks and valleys with him and you've seen both. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Robert is that type of player. When, when I look at his body and tool set, I mean, I, I saw Soler right in, I saw him in the Arizona league in 2012 right when he came over and there were a lot of similarities to what Robert looks like now. Robert might actually be a better athlete, more of a true center fielder, but in, in terms of the upside and the tools, that's what I think we're dealing with there. The the reason, the rationale behind the 26 million is obvious. I think for, uh, for Robert, I mean, we, it's so, so tough because he hasn't been in professional baseball and this year he's just hurt. And then, like you said, couldn't find a rhythm at the play, and he's made some great plays in the outfield. It's just, it's just one of those guys that, if this rebuild's gonna work, you'd you'd think that he is going to be a part of it, um, in, in that outfield. You hope so. They spend money on him like that, so you'd hope he'd be. Where do you think he starts next year? Is he starting back in Winston? Yeah, yeah, I I think that that needs to happen. He, I don't think you can point to almost any reason to put him up in the Southern League to start the year. Um, and, I mean, you know this better than me, but it just does not seem like this team is one for aggressive assignments. They, <laughs> they seem pretty conservative yeah, across the board. Nice way to put it, yeah. And I think like, it's just for, from the outside, they seem pretty conservative. And, and not just bringing up guys to the big leagues. I'm, I'm even talking about, you know, up the chain guys in lower parts of the level, so... Yeah, there there are some guys. Yeah, yeah. So 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 for me, I I don't know. I think Winston Salem was more likely. Yeah, there are some guys in, in Canapolis that I thought should be in Winston. Some guys in Winston I thought should be in Birmingham. Some guys in Birmingham that I shot, thought should be in Winston. Some guys in Winston I thought should be in Canapolis. So, you know, it's just that that's kind of how it how it goes, I guess. Um, so what do you? So you're you? He has he has the the speed the tools to be in center field. Where do you see him in the lineup? I guess I guess a lot of that depends on if he can lock down that approach and strikes on the right. Yeah, and I think that the the track record for this type of player is that there's always probably going to be variance in terms of how much they're able to do that. I think you look at other 
you know, guys with this tool set and you'll see seasons where it clicks. You'll see seasons where it doesn't. Um, and then there might be a prolonged peak of like two or three years in their prime years where it clicks. And then they really, really put up those numbers ages 28, 29, 30, or 27, 28, 29, or 29, 30, 31. Like uh, like a Carlos Gomez is a type of player like that that always comes to my mind, or an Alex Rios, which I know is going to make you <laughs> chuckle as a White Sox fan. Alex Rios, but, uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, and I, I'm look, and in, in in the best case scenario, you all, I'm not necessarily comping Robert to those guys one to one. But I'm just saying, like, the trials and tribulations of Jorge Soler, I think, are a realistic comparison. And, you know, I'd love to come back and have Robert make the type of jump in his approach that I saw from, like, a Juan Soto this yeah. year. Now, Soto was never where Robert is, but, uh, you know, he seriously made a significant improvement in his pitch ID and zone awareness the likes of which I can't really say I've seen a kid his age make in an off season. And, you know, so I, Robert won't have to do that, but I'd love if he came out and made a huge adjustment such that we're talking about, you know, the way that Eloy kind of tightened up his strike zone and look what's happened. Um, you know, that, that, that would be fantastic, but we'll, we'll just have to see. I mean, thankfully he has all the talent in the world, so you hope that uh, a full season of health and a full spring training and just getting those reps in the past, he's able to uh, figure something out of the place. It's unfortunate. The uh, the Nationals, I know you used to work for the Nationals this year, that they're not going to make the playoffs. It would have been fun to see Soto um, on the playoff stage and see what he could have done. But uh, we'll have to, at this age, so we'll have to wait till next year or whenever it is. But uh, it's just something, something I thought of real quick. All right, uh, last one for you. Uh, name that when I saw him in Canapolis at the beginning, I thought, you know, this guy is, he's on the fast track to, to the White Sox and that's Tyler Johnson. Um, he whew, impressive. I mean, he's, he's obviously got stuff to work on. It's why he's in Canapolis and why he's why he's in Winston, but man, the, the arm there, that that's your, you know, you hear Zach Birdie, you hear these other guys, some of these other guys, but man, Tyler Johnson, for my money, he's, He's well on his way to that uh, bullpen real quick. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess before I, I I saw him pitch. I've seen him pitch a few times this season. Um, why why is he still in Winston Salem? Is 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 it like have they given a reason for that? Is it a crowded bullpen in Birmingham? Like you you just you guys do such a great job and know this system so well. Um, I'm just I kind of saw him, and by the end of the year. But the way that he's throwing and the numbers he's put up yeah, is exactly. like doing here. Um, I don't, I don't know. I interviewed him in April, and he told me that the White Sox told him that he is on the fast track to the White Sox bullpen. Now, to me, that would mean he's starting in in AAA next year. You know what I mean? Something like that. Not he will probably be in Birmingham. So I mean, I guess you know theoretically you can start in Birmingham get to AAA, you know, in a couple months and then be called up in, in July or something like that. But his talent is he doesn't belong there, it doesn't seem like. And with all the other bullpen promotions the Sox did, you'd think that he would have been higher up in terms of, yeah, you know, and that, everybody that, moving that, up the that's ladder. That's what I thought, too, and I was surprised to see him there at the end of the year. 
it was good for me to see him um, up on our website. We have updated video of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. He's, he's a guy that is going to get to the big leads and pitches a reliever. Um, to me, he's more of a middle reliever than a leverage guy. I, there's some math. I mean, I'm sure you've seen him a lot. There's some aspects of his delivery and, and maybe he could change these, but there's a mass of the delivery that I don't think lend themselves very well to executing an off-speed pitch. And his fastball is good, but rare is the guy, even a uh, bullpen guy that comes in and just throws one pitch by you. And the, the highest leverage ones, your eighth inning guys, ninth inning guys, they're bringing that same power fastball uh, with a swing mitch secondary pitch. And, uh, I'm not sure if I saw a true out pitch from him. So to me, I think he's more of a good seventh inning guy for me. But, uh, you know, I, I think he has the type of stuff, you're right, that he can make me look bad for saying that. And he could absolutely be on the fast track if they want him to be. I know that uh, this rebuild works out. He's going to be part of that pin, you know, that, you know, when they do get back to the playoffs hopefully do another world series. So, I mean, that's, you know, whether, whether it's the seventh inning, eighth inning closer, whatever it is. And as long as he's a part of that, that whole thing. He's a big leader for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's a big leader. Yeah. That, that's, that's really all I can ask for that, you know, a homegrown kid is part of that rebuild that they have to go spend money on or something like that. You know, I think that's, I think that's a win. You know what I mean? It's not, he wasn't picked in the, absolutely yeah. it's a win. so. Absolutely uh, it's a win. And, and I think he's a guy that in terms of just like, hypothetically, you know, what is he capable of? Yeah, I, I think by this time next year, he's a guy that he, he has a good 2019 would be capable of pitching the big level. What, whether he does, you know, whether the roster is in a situation such that if they are not contenders again next year, it seems prudent for them to have to use a roster spot in the middle of the season and get the service clock going. You know that's that's a that's another deal, but uh, he certainly is capable of pitching the big leagues to me sometime next year for sure. I'm looking, I'm watching the Sox team right now, and, and Hamilton and Vieira are warming up. So those are the two guys that you know just right there in that instance, and Bummer's on the mound. Now, those three guys were in Charlotte this year, and they've all been called up. And you know, just just thinking about you know the the chain reaction or the, the whatever reaction you want to call it from down the line as to why Johnson's still in double A or single A. Blows my mind, but you know that's that's what they're doing, and you know that's kind of what they've, as you said throughout this whole podcast, their their track record of the conservative in terms of not just bringing them up to the big league level, but through all levels. Um, so I mean that's it's really it shouldn't be a surprise. Adam, uh, last thing I want to get to some other names from other systems that you know uh, people should keep their eye on. Maybe not necessarily going to be up at the start of the next season, but you know maybe you know. July or June, July, August, some, some names that you might see getting called up or maybe some guys, maybe a couple years down the line. Give me some names for those type of people. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go, I'll, I'll give you a good name. Um, and I, I think for anyone that really wants to delve deep into prospect content, they should check out our website at 2080baseball.com. We have, uh, over a thousand, we have over a thousand player videos, hundreds of scouting reports, um, and player spotlights. I love working with this group. It's a great uh, group of people, and I think everyone works really hard and earnestly. Um, so, you know, we, we bust our bus to put good content out there, and hopefully people enjoy it. Uh, in, in terms of a name, I was 
give you one here before I hop off. Um, an interesting, uh, <laughs> the rare six foot six left-handed hitting shortstop O'Neill Cruz, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates spent this season in the South Atlantic League with the West Virginia Power. Um, really, just unique, cool set here on this kid. Built like an NFL wide receiver, runs like a deer. Um, Sits grade left-handed raw power, and the ability to, uh, you know, I, you never want to say a sit foot sit kid's going to stay at shortstop, but compared to when he signed, um, his his ability to stay in the dirt and maybe stay on the left side of the infield at third base has gotten a lot better. He ranked uh, number 118 on our midseason top 125. I think we were the first ones to put him on a national ranking. I think a lot of people have since done that. Which is fine. I don't want to make it sound like we're the only ones that put guys out first. There's plenty of instances where Dan Graps or Baseball America will put a rank a guy first and we'll rank him later. So, you know, it goes both ways. But um, we happen to be the first ones that I think placed him, which I feel good about. Um, I think he's still a few years off because the amount of swing and miss and controlling some of those levers and the consistency to hit tools in question. But he started putting one foot in front of the other, uh, putting the bat on the ball and developing some more of the approach that we were talking about. And when one of these potential five-tool athletes is able to do that, uh, the results come pretty quickly. So, again, this is O'Neal Cruz of the Pirates. Really interesting prospect, uh, all things considered, and that's why I wanted to mention him here. He's still a few years off, but there's not another player in the minor league quite like this guy. Doesn't mean he's the best, but he is the most unique. I'll say that. Yeah, that's that's definitely a name. I would say um, that I'm going to go 90% of the fans that are going to listen to this don't know who that is, maybe 95. So that's a very good name um, to keep an eye on in the South Atlantic League. Adam, uh, thanks for your time. We probably went over a little bit, but uh, really appreciate your time and all the uh, prospect talk. And hopefully we'll uh, get you back on in the offseason and, and kind of get some of your thoughts on what's coming up, right? Yeah, it'd be fun. I'd love to. All right. Let's do it. Thanks. Thank you for your time, man. That's Adam McInturf, Assistant Director of Pro Scouting for 2080 Baseball. And uh, go check out their website, 2080baseball.com. Welcome back to another part of this Future Sox podcast. Joining me now on Skype. Adam Shalafu out in Great Falls, Montana, but he's actually from the Chicagoland area. He's out there uh, working, and he's gotten a good look at the Great Falls Voyagers, so I wanted to pick his brain on some of the guys that most people haven't heard of in the Sox minor league system. Adam, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So you're, you're from Chicago, so how did you get out there? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Batavia, Illinois, original, originally, and... Uh, Actually, so is one of the Great Falls Voyagers, Micah Coffey, led the Bulldogs to a state championship a few years ago. But I grew up in the western suburbs and then I went to DePaul University. And then I sent my uh, demo reel across the country to probably about 130 markets. And uh, Great Falls wound up being where I went. Really, it was like the biggest game of whack-a-mole of all time, you know, just seeing which uh, market I was going to hit. And so I'm here, and uh, I was very 
happy to go somewhere where there was a Chicago connection, uh, especially the Great Falls Voyagers having been so exciting so far this year. Yes, let's get into that. You can find Adam on Twitter at AdamKFBB. So they're in the playoffs. They won game one uh, in in grand fashion, really, uh, last – was it last night? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're recording this on Thursday the 12th, so last night. Uh, they scored five runs in each of the first two innings and held on to win. I guess I didn't – you know, I didn't obviously didn't watch the game, but uh, they uh, came out with ten runs in those first two innings. So take me back to last night. What was that like? Yeah, well, you know, it's pretty wild. Going into the series, Grand Junction was, I believe, second in the league in home runs. They had 77. Now, the Voyagers weren't too far behind that at 75. And so breaking down the matchup, I figured this could be potentially a very fun series, a very high-scoring series. Uh, Voyagers were only 1-3 in in Grand Junction on the season and had a better record against them at home. And so I thought if there was a game that, the Voyagers were going to lose, it would be this game one here in Grand Junction. It was on Tuesday night. Uh, when you hang 10 runs through the first two innings, that is certainly going to go a long way. I think one of the guys who's really emerged recently is a guy I was not high on at all at the beginning of the year is I call him the California kid, Travis Mano. And he had five at bats last night, resulting in three hits. He got a base on ball. So, uh, he's got a ton of speed. He's been really doing well at leadoff. And then, uh, you know, he kind of got it started, and the, the bats just stayed hot. Bryce Bush homered, Ryan Fitzpatrick homered. I don't think a lot of these guys are going to the league, but I think that there are a few guys who contributed in big ways yesterday. They could be playing in the MLB at some point. I think Lennon Sosa is uh, proven to be outstanding. He's a very athletic defender. There's been a few times when – there's been a screaming line drive that no one has any business coming down with. And, you know, he does his best jump man impression and pulls that one down. Romy Gonzalez out of the university of Miami and uh, Gonzalez played DH mostly for the beginning of the year. He was dealing with a uh, lingering injury from college. Now he's back out at center field and then Bryce Bush, you know, Bush was going to play at Mississippi state. He's only 18 years old. And sometimes you see some of that youth in his game, but you definitely see just as much explosiveness. Uh, he's just a true athlete. And uh, I think he proved to have what I like to call the clutch chromosome. It's either in your blood or it's not. He had a Homer last night to kind of spark things. And then of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick homering twice last night. I think uh, really it's such with this, young group momentum. I don't want to, you know, I know that's the biggest cliche in the book, but they really do feed off the energy. And when they get their confidence, you can tell. And I think especially at home, and I talked to them before the series against the Billings Mustangs, and I, you know, Billings was red hot. Frankly, I thought they had the best chance of coming out. Voyagers lost a lot of really good players earlier in the season after they clinched. Uh, now, the Voyagers told me they wanted the Billings Mustangs instead of the Helena Brewers, even though the Mustangs were probably the better team. Great Falls came out, won on the road in Billings in game one, and then came back and won at home to make it a two-game sweep here in Great Falls. And, uh, you know, the place was electric. And I think they really feed off that energy and they're really one of the best home teams in all of the Pioneer League North. 
And so I thought if there was a game they were going to lose, it was going to be in Grand Junction. You know, I know the altitude can be a factor. Uh, you know, tired legs on the road can be a factor. I know that Tim Esme, manager of the year, is very happy that they kind of have a little bit of a break instead of just traveling right back and jumping right into it. They, you know, finish off the game Tuesday night, get back here today, and then they're going to be able to rest up a little bit before they have their game tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in Centene Stadium. I think, honestly, that the Voyagers, they're such a good home team, and I really anticipate a lot of fans coming out to support them for that one. I think they could get it done tomorrow night. Uh, You know, we'll be covering it live out here in Great Falls pretty much all day. You know, that's, that's the big story is if they can get their first championship since 2011. There's the voice of Adam Shalafu. He's out in Great Falls, Montana. Adam, there's a few names you mentioned, a few names I wanted to, to talk about real quick. Uh, we'll get to the arms and, you know, ask you what else you've seen around the league. Uh, a couple names that stand out. Nunez, Sauer, Sosa, Beltre, who's up with the with Canapolis. Um, <clears throat> and Corey Zangari, who got hurt, but he was hitting all his home runs. And, um, yep. and then you got to see Steve. I'm going to try that again. See Steel Walker as well. I got to, to uh, see him as well in Canapolis. But some of those guys, I mean – uh, there's there's some names in there. I mean, there's some guys that have done some good things this year. Well, what are your thoughts on some of those guys, and, and who do you see kind of excelling to the next level? Obviously, Ramon Beltre are already at the next level as well. Yeah, you know, Beltre and Zandari and also another guy, uh, Ian Dawkins, were, I think, the big offensive juggernauts earlier in the season, and I think there was a huge hiccup for the Voyagers. They actually had a horrendous second half of the season. The way it works in the Pioneer League is if you win the first half title, you clinch playoffs and home field. And then the second half, they, by the record, they were a bad team. Uh, so if you look at it total, you know, like total wins loss from the first and second half, they're actually below 500. However, they proved that they can turn it around when they need to. I think what they did was kind of let some of these young bats kind of get in here and get comfortable uh, after losing guys like Zingari, uh, Zingari, there was a game he hit three homers, and it's a shame he was hurt last year as well. Uh, but he really could change the game in a swing of the bat. Just if if you have runners on, he's a nightmare. You know, he was I believe he played in 17 games in the Pioneer League, and he hit a homer in nine of those. So, or he hit nine homers rather in those 17 games. Amado Nunez just got voted the team MVP by the team. And uh, he's batting an astounding 357. He homered against Billings uh, the other night to put that one away. And I mean, the guy's just been electric. And um, I think him along with some other players like Manio, I mentioned have really stepped up in the absence. I think it just took him a while to kind of get comfortable and uh, now that they have that confidence, I think that's really showing. Uh, Nunez isn't necessarily a power guy. He's only got six homers on the year, which isn't necessarily bad. But, you know, he's no Corey Zingari. Um, Bryce Bush is definitely a guy I think that we should be keeping our eyes out on just because he is only 18 years old. Uh, there's a reason that the White Sox threw the paycheck at him the way right, they did. Right. He got off to kind of a rough start at the beginning of the year, um, but he's batting 250 now. He was batting 442 with the Arizona League team. 
And so I don't expect a lot from him necessarily, you know, in the next game or two. Like I said, he, he did homer last night. But I think the better days for Bush are going to be coming up. Uh, Logan Sowers is another guy to keep your eye on. Logan Sowers is out of Indiana University. And uh, he's been pretty consistent. He's the only Voyager to make the first half and second half all-star team. And when I talked to uh, Coach, he put it pretty simply that if somebody can make the first half team and the second half all-star team, it means they really never hit a slump at all in their season. And so he's just been a portrait of consistency for them. And I think that's been crucial for a team that has had just so much adversity, having so many good players called up, having, you know, that uh, since I'm on a Chicago-based podcast, I'll say, you know, the Tom Thibodeau-style next man up philosophy. Um, And then I'll circle back to Romy Gonzalez. Uh, Gonzalez is just, frankly, a really nice kid. Uh, I got to talk to him pretty earlier or pretty early in the year. And uh, he's got 10 homers. He's batting 254. And um, now that he is in the field again, I think that's really helped the Voyagers because he's got some athleticism now that he's, his shoulder is better. You know, he had, uh, I think it was a tendonitis issue that was lingering from his time with Miami. Uh, and so they were really conservative about him. And I think that's been an approach in general with Esme and the squad is just making sure you can keep these guys healthy because obviously they want to win the championship, but the goal for the organization is more, you know, it's about the White Sox. Right. It's about the teams higher up than them. Uh, but I think it's been a win-win for Romy. They were able to give him the time he needed to get that shoulder healed up still get a strong contribution from him as a DH. But now that they've had him in the field, it's given them so much more flexibility. And I think that's been one of the sneaky aspects of what's really helped them get red hot. I mean, if they win tomorrow night, they just swept the playoffs. That's pretty impressive. Um, Let's quickly talk about some of the arms out there. Uh, Some of the recent um, higher picks for the White Sox are out there. What what has been your impression on some of these arms? You know, it's, it's... tough to read because they pitch so many uh, pitchers in a given game. Right, right. Uh, w- one guy who's really caught my eye is Jonathan Stever. He's also after or out of Indiana University, and so he actually rooms with Logan Sowers, uh, and they kind of coach each other up a little bit, if you will. But he's definitely just given it the eye test. He's been somebody who I've thought has been really good. Um, Michael McCormick was a first half all-star. I have some questions with him for sure. I've been to a couple games where he came in trying to close that thing out and the game just blew up in his face. Uh, was not on the second half all-star team. Um, Jack Maynard has been pretty consistent. He's uh, pitching a pretty, pretty clean year. He's four and two with a clean three ERA. Um, But like I said, it's just very difficult. These guys are usually only pitching, you know, an inning and a half. And so it's kind of hard to, I guess, really gauge without seeing them go extended innings. Now they did just win, or, or the guy who just won pitcher of the year for the Voyagers, his name is Nick Johnson. 
And his ERA is outstanding. He's uh, .9. And so he's been obviously lights out all year, 22nd round, or 21st round pick in 2018 out of Rhode Island. I've gotten to get more familiar with him on the stat sheet than ever, anything. He's got five saves, 15 strikeouts on the year. But um, also the nature of our job here, being a sports reporter on TV a lot of times, if it's a 7 o'clock game and we got a show at 9 o'clock, we're only staying for that first hour. And then uh, if it's a close game, we come back after that 9 o'clock show. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a great read on some of those pitches, no, pitchers fine. other than uh, what I've given you. Last thing uh, before I let you go, and you've been great. I mean, a lot of these – you know, I, I'm here in Winston-Salem, so – I saw, you know, the, the dash all, obviously a lot. And then I went down to Kopech, see Kopech and Elo, you know, and they were in Charlotte. And I made, I don't know, probably a dozen trips to Kannapolis too. So I've seen a majority of the Sox minor league system, um, but I didn't make it down to Birmingham. And obviously I haven't been to Montana. So uh, it's good getting you on here and, uh, you know, touching base with some of these players that we're going to hear in Kannapolis and, and maybe even Winston next year. I know some of the guys that are out there last year up in Winston now. So uh, you never know. Last thing for you, Adam, um, some other names, I guess, some other teams around, you know, some of the other things that are guys that have impressed you. Uh, from just other players around the league? Yeah, yeah, that you've seen against the uh, Voyagers. Let's see. Well, I did a play-by-play game against, geez, that was the Idaho Falls Chuckers, and uh, I'm going to have to pull up their roster here, but their team batting average was about a clean – you know, 300. And so they got a lot of guys who can uh, do some good things for you. Um, let me, let me think a little bit here. Uh, Nathan Eaton for Idaho Falls is fantastic. He's a second baseman. Uh, he's got five homers on the year. He, he got 92 hits and um, I think that's impressive. This is definitely a shorter season. And then, uh, you know, Guys that really jump off the page at me, a lot of them are actually on Grand Junction, and that's the reason you're seeing Great Falls and Grand Junction in the championship. Grant Levine, well, let, let me break this, put it this way. So there's, Amado Nunez has the best batting average in the Pioneer League, rounding out the, the top 10 and figuring at number 11 are a bunch of Grand Junction Rocky players. So their first baseman, Grant Levine, is fourth, uh, Coco Montez is sixth, and then 10 is Nico Decalotti at, and then uh, Will Golson at 11. Uh, David Fry has definitely impressed me for the Helena Brewers as well. Now he's up with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he is able to kind of continue to climb. And then, let's see, Drew Mount for the Billings Mustangs has been pretty good. He's a center fielder. He's batting 310 this year. And uh, out of Santa Clara, he's he's pretty nice. He's definitely, I was so surprised, you know, to hear from the Voyagers the other day that they would rather face Helena because Billings was so red hot. And Mount was definitely one of those guys. It was their catalyst. Um, and then going back to Idaho Falls, a guy I am really, really high on is Tyler James. He is uh, quicker than a cat in the night, uh, batting 312. He can steal a bag like it's nobody's business. He had uh, 38 stolen bases this year. And um, a tremendous fielder. 
he only had two homers. I was at one of the games. He uh, led. He's a leadoff hitter. He led off with a homer for Billings in Great Falls. And like I said, Great Falls is a tough place to play in. But I think Tyler James is definitely going to be somebody we're seeing in the majors at some point, and he'll be stealing bags for somebody. All right, Adam. Uh, this has been great, man. Um, <clears throat> I don't really have much to add, obviously, because I've never seen any of these guys play, but I know that we're going to see uh, quite a few of them when they come up. Oh, last thing. What did you think of Steel Walker? You know, he uh, he left before I even got a chance to see him. Okay. So I can tell you what I've talked to, the voice of the Voyagers. Um, golly, kind of huge blank here. Um, Sean Tiemann. Sean Tiemann. I talked to him about Steele before he even came. And, uh, I mean, he must have been on the, on the squad for maybe a week and a half. And so I really don't have much to say about Steele uh, other than he was good enough to get pulled up almost immediately. He's, uh, he's, very, he's definitely a very entertaining guy. I got to interview him uh, last week down in Canapolis before their first playoff game. So he's, he's definitely built for Chicago. All right, man, thanks for your time, and uh, hopefully talk to you again soon. Thanks. All right, sounds great. Thanks for having me. That's Adam Shalafu. He's out in Great Falls, Montana. Find him on Twitter at AdamKFBB. So there you have it, another Future Sox podcast in the books. Hope you enjoyed my guests, Adam McInturf and Adam Shalafu. Love another Future Sox podcast here. The offseason is well, just around the corner. We'll be sure to get you another Future Sox podcast, hopefully at the beginning of October. Maybe run down some playoff predictions as well. But until then, I'm your host, Clinton Cole. Follow us on Twitter at CDCole55 and at Future Sox. So long, everyone.